welcome to the Behavior Trap Podcast featuring your host, Alan Lowe. Today's episode, we are going to be talking to Lisa Zenit. Lisa Zenit has been in the field of special education now for 14 years. She recently just became a BCBA in May in 2018 at the University of St. Joseph in Connecticut. She was one of the very first few people to reach out to me to be on this podcast. And let me tell you, it was a worthwhile conversation and she makes for a really good interview. Let's get to it. Lisa Zenit. Today on the line, we have Lisa Zenit. How are you doing today? I'm doing great. How are you? Good. I'm quite nervous, though. This is my first podcast ever. That's okay. That's okay. Thank you so much for asking me to be a part of this. I'm really excited to spread the love of ABA and um, you know talk about my experiences. So thank you so much for having me as your first guest. This is super exciting. Thank you. Thank you so much. So the first question I have to ask you is, what yeah. got you into behavioral analysis? And what's your backstory for getting into the field? So um, I've actually, I've been a special ed teacher. This is my 14th year as a special ed teacher. I can't believe I'm that old that I'm <laughs> saying that. But, <laughs> um, but so I've been a special ed teacher for 14 years. And while being a special ed teacher, Um, You know, you have a range of students with abilities and disabilities, and um, one of the principals that I uh, worked with my first year um, right out of college was someone who still to this day, I really, I admire her so much, and she she would see my interactions with uh, students who have uh, challenging behaviors, and she would say to me, you know, you are really, really good with, um, kids who have behavior issues. Like you should really look into doing something that with that. And then when I went to, um, the second school within the same district, still elementary, um, Mm -hmm. I, um, there was a special program there, um, for specifically for students with, um, pretty, um, aggressive, disruptive, uh, challenging behaviors and, so I thought, you know, maybe it would be good to just have that experience and to um, see how that kind of special education works. Um, wow. So I decided to go for it. And um, while doing that, I met someone who was a, a BT at the time, a behavior tech, and he was uh, studying to be a behavior analyst. And he kind of got me hooked. He Ooh. and the BT there. Yeah, they kind of got me hooked on trying to figure out, um, you know, what to do with these challenging behaviors and how to address them and um, kind of what you do in different scenarios. So that was really exciting for me. And I, you know, decided that even though I had a master's in special ed, I was going to go back and, you know, try to uh, try to explore this this lens of special ed and try to explore ABA. So I went back to school, um, to the university of St. Joseph in, in West Hartford, Connecticut, and, um, did that part-time for three years. And it really just completely opened my eyes to, um, a totally different world out there and a totally different lens in how to look at behavior and how to look at, um, just everything we do from day to day life. And so it was just really eye opening. Um, 
from me. And that's kind of how I, how I got into it. Here I am. <laughs> wow. That's incredible. How long? So overall, how long have you been a BCBA? So I passed, um, I passed the exam in February of last year. So I'm just approaching a year of, um, having that certification. And, uh, so I've been a BCBA for a little under a year and I've been doing it part-time. My full-time job is still, um, being a special ed teacher. Mm, all right. That makes sense. Yeah. Wow. That's awesome. So do you think if you could go back, would you have flipped, flipped it in a way? Like, would you have done ABA for 14 years and maybe gotten into teaching special education or do you kind of wish you would have found ABA to begin with? Um, you know, I think that I, if I were to make any changes, I would probably, um, go back a little sooner than I did to explore ABA. I, I think that, um, when I went back for the second master's, I had at least 10 years experience under my belt. So I had a lot of experience to draw upon that I could use, um, when figuring out, behaviors and behavior plans and analyzing behavior. So I had a lot of really good experience. I just wish that I had found it a little bit sooner because I think it would have made um, even more of an impact on, mm. um, on the lives of kids who really, really need someone who, you know, who knows what they're doing and who loves what they're doing and has that knowledge base. Yeah. That's awesome. So yeah. where did you get your, um, BCBA? Like, where did you so, know, just finish it up? Yeah, so that was at the University of St. Joseph um, in West Hartford. It was, a, it was a great school. It was very rigorous. The classes, I felt, were, were really prepared me for the exam. I mean, huh. as much as you can be prepared, because the exam is, is, a, is a tough one. <laughs> so there's a good chance I'll be taking the same classes that you've taken, since the curriculum okay. is probably pretty similar. What was your hardest class or which class do you remember the most? Oh, that's a good question. Um, I think one of my, um, I don't know. I think one of the ethics courses was pretty tough just mm, because okay. there's, there's, um, you know, there's so much within the ethics field that you that's so different from other fields you know our ethics field is very strong and binding and um and there's such a you know an emphasis to adhere to this strong ethical code and so i think that was um i think that was probably one of the the harder ones there was definitely other classes where um you had to you know write sbas and and write yeah. um and analyze, you know, and analyze things. And I think the, the technical portion of that was, was hard, you know, cause I didn't have any, um, experience prior in ABA. I had experience with, um, special education and, and that sort of thing. So, um, I think it was more of, you know, it was partly ethics and partly just like the, the nitty gritty detail oriented, uh, classes that you had to learn specifics about, you know, FBAs and analyzing graphs and, and yeah, all that. That makes sense. And I, I believe you told me earlier, um, you didn't have to go two years to get your BCBA. You, I believe you got your certificate in one year. Can you explain that? 
to maybe other graduate students who've already graduated and possibly maybe looking into our field? Um, yeah, so there was, well, at least for my school, there were two tracks and there was, there was a track of just getting the certification in ABA, um, where it was fewer classes, fewer credits, but there's also the track to get a second master's degree. Mm -hmm. Um, so I decided, you know, it was just, for me, it was worth it to just take the extra classes, you know, turn it into a second master's for me. And, um, I just, you know, I wanted more information. I didn't want to go just the, the certification route because I, I kind of wanted to dive deep into it. Um, but there are two tracks, at least, that were presented to me when I um, went back to school. Um, but I'm glad that I did what I did. I'm glad I, I took it as a master's degree. And um, I just felt like there was a lot more learning that I, that I could do. Yeah, that's incredible. Who was your supervisor at the University of St. Joseph? I had, when I was there, I had two supervisors. Um, one of them, her name is Christina Kylie, and one of them was uh, Dr. Laura Turner. And so Christina Kylie was my supervisor for the majority of um, my time at St. Joe's and Laura Turner. I believe she was my supervisor for one semester, but she was also um, my thesis advisor and I had taken a class from her. So I had known her in other capacities. Um, and they were both wonderful. Yeah. Um, do you still keep in touch with Dr. Laura Turner or Christina Kylie? I haven't talked to them in, in a while. I've been meaning to, um, you know, to catch up with both of them. They're, they're in very different, um, environments and fields of ABA. So Dr. Turner, I believe is still teaching. So she's more of the professor Mm -hmm. side and Christina Kylie is a BCBA in a school district. So it was really good to have, um, to, to kind of talk to both of them and, and get a feel for what ABA looks like in different environments. Mm -hmm. Wow. That's yeah. That would be really cool to have like two different perspectives, especially coming from your background in special education. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And I know that I know that it would be an easier transition to be a school BCBA, but I'm not about the easy track. I want to do, you know, I kind of want to do what, what's meaningful and kind yeah. of um, whatever just makes sense for my next step. So, yeah. What was one thing you remember about like being like going for your master's again in ABA under Lord Dr. Laura Turner? Oh my goodness. Well, she was really, she's a wonderful professor. She has, has all the, the most amazing qualities. She's so smart. She's so knowledgeable. And she's also very like, she's very caring. Um, the way she guides you towards the right answer or guides your thinking. She's just really wonderful. And, and she um, is so easy to talk to. I really during my time there, I really enjoyed having her. I think she just embodies so many amazing qualities as a teacher and um, as a supervisor. And so I thought it was just, she made learning easy. She made learning, um, you know, just, it made sense. I mean, I'll, I'll tell you, well, she made it easy. The, the content isn't easy. <laughs> There's no, so much it's content. not. Um, but she just, oh, she had a great way about her where she just, you know, made you, um, 
she just made you feel like you could understand something that was really complicated. So I, I really, really enjoyed my time with her, you know, both as my thesis advisor, as my supervisor, and as one of my professors. Yeah. So question, when you were learning, like learning about our field, there's a lot of overlap between special education and behavior analysis. What was there anything in particular that stood out in behavior analysis? You're like, wow, I didn't know that. Or wow, I can't believe they do that. I think that um, as a special education teacher, it's like a natural path <laughs> to be a BCBA. Um, but I think what I really realized um, that I hadn't really thought about before is that, you know, if you really step back and you look at patterns of behavior um, and you, you know, determine the function or the functions of behavior, it, you know, it's just it's easier to come up with an intervention that, um, that makes sense. And I think, you know, as a special ed teacher, I didn't realize the value of like ABA data sheets. You know, it's something that, um, my parents could, uh, easily take data with. And it was just so powerful, like taking that data on ABC data sheets, just for one of my most challenging girls a couple of years ago, it was really helpful to look at that and look at it, you know, with a behavior analytic lens to say, you know what, there's patterns emerging, like the mm -hmm. behavior is happening for a reason. And it's, you know, um, it's maintained by this consequence or, you know, whatever it may be. So I thought that, um, you know, ABC data sheets and, and data was helpful when I was a special ed teacher, but I didn't realize how, um, integral and how uh, important data is like to make any good decision. You have to have data. You have to have, um, you know, you have to show evidence. And so while, you know, as a special ed teacher, before I got into ABA, I feel like a lot of the interventions um, that were done were, you know, based on what we felt was right at the time. And, you know, we didn't, you know, I don't think, any of us knew any better, but I think when you really look at it from a data perspective, um, it brings a whole new lens to understanding behavior. Exactly. And I think it's kind of interesting, like the route you went, because I have a few friends who have gotten, like became a BCBA, then went back and became a teacher because they believed it was going to, it would help them in the special education field as a teacher, but they weren't necessarily yeah. intrigued by just staying at BCBA. They wanted to go back to being a professor or a teacher somewhere. Yeah. You know, I, as I said to you before we, we started, I, you know, being a BCBA is more of a supervisory role. Um, and so you kind of have to take a step back and I love what I do and I love teaching. I love being a BCBA, but I think with teaching, you are, you know, you're with those kids every single day. You're the first one teaching them the lesson or, you know, doing this instruction. So I, I, I understand that. Like, I understand going back to be a teacher because, you know, um, that's, that's also so important too. I couldn't have, I couldn't have become a behavior analyst without first being a teacher and, and understanding what I understand now. Wow. That's incredible. Did you have, what was your biggest takeaway throughout those two years? Of getting your degree? Um, well, it took me, I think it took me two and a half, three. In the two and a half years? Okay. Three. Yeah. 
to finally get it. But you know what? <laughs> what I think my biggest takeaway was that hard work pays off because I, nice. you know, I, from the time I decided to sign up to um, go back to school, like my weekends were dedicated doing to doing schoolwork. And, um, and then after that, my weekends and all my free time was dedicated to studying for the exam. So I think, you know, in the moment, it's just, it's, it's a lot. It's a lot to juggle. If you have a full-time job, you know, it's a lot to take on, but it really, it made a difference and it really paid off in the end. So hard work definitely pays off and it is a lot of hard work. That is incredible, Lisa. Thank you. <laughs> You're welcome. So we're, let's go ahead and get to the, the nerdy part because I, I have a feeling you have a lot to say about this topic. Right. Let's talk about your thesis. What was your thesis about? I have to know. So I, um, I had a lot of trouble trying to figure out what my thesis would be, but I decided to challenge myself. And this was something that Dr. Turner really, um, she was, she was very proud of this. And, you know, I had said to her as a special teacher, um, I had, I had never done DTI or DTT, whatever you want to call it. Um, I, I didn't have any students that, you know, had that in their program or needed, um, that kind of instruction. And so I said, I can't leave this master's degree and I can't leave this education um, without having some sort of understanding and experience with DTI and DTT. So I incorporated um, the steps of DTT with visual instruction. And so my thesis was basically um, trying to figure out the best um, and least intrusive way to train others, um, basically train others in, in DTT and to train others to work with kids. And so, um, we know that resources are super limited in education and time is very limited. You know, I'd love to sit down with my paraprofessionals way often, way more often than I actually have a chance to. And so we explored, um, you know, do visual instructions, really good visual instructions, um, you know, with um, arrows and color-coded boxes. Like, is that sufficient to, um, to teach others how to carry out a skill? Um, and I thought that was really interesting because we're always looking for a way to, um, you know, help improve the people who are working directly, you know, with our kids and, um, so in the end, we found that visual instruction um, was the visual instruction that we gave as the intervention, the color-coded visual instructions of pictures and arrows. Obviously, that was um, so much more effective than just like a sheet of, you know, one, two, three, four, five, five steps yeah. um, that we compared it to. Because, you know, a lot of times if you're a teacher and you have uh, a student with a, a behavior plan, you try to teach, you know, the, the teachers who will be working with this kid and the paras, how to work, um, how to carry out the behavior plan. And, you know, sometimes it's a quick discussion. Sometimes it's, you know, a discussion with some visuals or sometimes, you know, I've seen 
uh, people hand them the BIP and just say, read it and carry it out. So like, that's <laughs> definitely something <clears throat> relevant in our field as to like, how, yeah. how do we train someone and how do we train someone when we don't have a ton of time and resources? So we found that, you know, enhancing visual instruction um, with, you know, color coding and with um, arrows and stuff like that was obviously um, we got better results doing that than just handing them <clears throat> a piece of paper with like five steps or 10 steps to do. Yeah. So. And just in case we have undergraduates who are looking into our field and they don't happen to know what DTT or DTI is, can you kind of explain that a little bit? Like what is DTT? Obviously we know, but just in case others yeah. don't have a, an idea. So, well, and it's, Sometimes it's called, I've seen it as DTT, I've seen it as DTI. I think they're interchangeable. Um, but it's a way to teach skills in a discrete manner. So it's called discrete trial instruction um, or discrete trial training. And it's just a way to teach a skill, um, a bigger skill in very discrete, smaller behaviors. So um, a lot of times you'll see DTI done where um, the instructor and the kid are sitting at a table. Um, sometimes there's hand over hand. They're very simple instructions. Um, so it's just simple, discrete instructions for uh, a lot of times students with um, more profound um, learning or behavioral disabilities. Hi, that's... That's awesome. I remember the first time I learned about discrete trial training and like I was watching it and I remember the RBT that I was watching, they were just doing EOLs and ROLs so fast. And I'm like, how do you know that's an array of 10? Now it's an array of six matching. And yeah. oh, it was, yeah. it was overwhelming. I watched, I'm like, I don't know if I want to do this anymore. This is insane. <laughs> yeah. And there, you know, there's people that do it every single day and that's, you know, that's how their students learn and they are, they're so quick, you know, there's so many, there's materials you put on the table and then you take it away and then, you know, and they're very quick at, you know, going from skill to skill to skill. Cause a lot of times um, the kids that you're going to be doing DTI or DTT with, you know, sometimes they don't have a very long attention span. So you have to be quick, 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 quick to uh, assess and make sure that they understand the skill. Yeah. It's, it's definitely DTT itself is a very hard skill. I feel like once you know how to do it, it's easy mm -hmm. and it just comes to you. But getting to, my opinion, learning how to like discrete trial training, like it was quite difficult for me at least. Others may have different experiences. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. It's so different than like your typical teaching style. So that's why it's, it's a little harder to wrap your brain around, you know, based on what your experience is with education. Yeah. Did this um, thesis get published anywhere? It didn't. I didn't, uh -huh. I didn't take the step yet to uh, get it published. After I graduated in May, I got married in August. So I, Congrats. and then I, thank you. And then I went right into studying. So I haven't really done anything um, with that thesis yet, but who's to say that in the future, I won't, you know, dust it off and do something <laughs> with it. <laughs> Oh man. So once you were like finishing up with your thesis and like you were having to start looking for jobs, did you find the job that you wanted easy? Like was it, was it quite difficult for you to find a job in our field? Cause I always hear mixed thoughts, but I feel like BCBAs right now are in, they're in need. Oh yeah. 
Oh, for sure. I, well, and I, after I um, graduated and after I passed, which was a, a huge weight off my shoulders, it was, you know, just a personal accomplishment. I wanted to prove to myself that I could do it and I, on the first try and I did, which was amazing. Um, so after that, I wanted to figure out in what capacity I wanted to incorporate being a BCBA. So I wanted to just kind of get my feet wet and, uh, you know, just experience it, um, but not leave the teaching profession and go right into it. So I, right now I am a part-time BCBA. I have one case and, um, I'm a full-time special ed teacher, but as far as finding jobs, uh, no, I didn't think it was hard at all. There was, there was quite a need when I was looking for, um, for BCBA experience there was definitely a, quite a need out there in um, a lot of like in-home capacity. So BCB is going into the home to teach skills. Um, but I found that there was quite a lot out there and I, I happened to find a really great agency um, to, to start my experience with and people who like took me under their wings and um, showed me how to, you know, how to become a BCBA and to start out as a BCBA. Yeah. Really. I was really lucky for that. That's awesome. I know a lot of people who do pass the test the first time and some people who have difficulties and it takes one or two times. Um, so it's awesome, Lisa. Where do you work at now? Um, so I work in a public school district as a teacher, but I also um, work with Able Home Healthcare okay. um, in Connecticut. And I believe they're also in Massachusetts and I think they're branching out to other states. Um, they're a great company. Um, and they, you know, they treated me like part of their family when I first started. And I had said, you know, this is my first experience as a BCBA, first experience doing in-home and everyone there was just not only more than welcoming, they just really helped me, um, through everything. There's, you know, a lot of paperwork to do. There's a lot of routines and procedures to learn and, um, it was just a really great experience for my first BCBA experience. And I'm still there. So it's not the experience <laughs> yet. So. Man, that's crazy. And I know the research is out there, but I was looking the other day and I noticed that in the research, it shows that BCBAs, a lot of them aren't happy with their jobs. A lot of them feel like they're being overworked. They have too many cases underneath them. Do you have any thoughts about that? Or I know, I know you mentioned you only have one case. But what about other people that possibly work for ABLE? Um, what, are, what are the things companies could do to like help with this? That's a really good question. Um, I think there's just there's such a need for services all over, you know, all over the state, and um, and so there's there's such a need, and there's it's a lot to take on as a BCBA. Um, you know, I don't have the experience of a full time caseload. I know that. Um, a full-time caseload could be uh, anywhere from 14, 15, you know, maybe sometimes even more um, clients. And so if you're an in-home BCBA, I know that you're constantly on the road. Um, you have to make sure that you um, fit into your schedule, all your appointments. So you're meeting compliance with supervision hours. And, exactly. you know, if you have yeah, and if you have a family who cancels, then you have to figure out how you use that time. Do you, you know, do paperwork? Do you go see another client? 
Um, so I think the, the juggling of going um, from home to home, um, you know, supervising different um, RBTs or BTs, um, I think that's a, it's a lot to juggle. It's definitely a lot to juggle. I don't have that experience, but I think that's, you know, maybe that's, um, that's the, the hardest part of being an in-home BCBA is just to, there's a lot to juggle when you have to do that. Oh, I can imagine, but man, that's crazy. What's one thing you knew before you started? Like, what's one thing you wish you knew now before you started? Before I started as a BCBA? Yeah, like what's one thing you wish you knew now before, I guess, where you are now? Um, I I just wish I had come <laughs> come across ABA and, and this, you know, being a BCBA a little earlier than, than I did. Um, I think that the path that I chose was the right one. Um, and I am so happy with, you know, being a teacher and being a BCBA and, and I'm happy with, um, you know, just the experience that I have. I just wish that I had this experience just a little bit <laughs> earlier in life. So, um, you know, so I could make an even greater impact on, you know, the kids that needed, I, I have a great client who is just, he's just awesome. And, and I think, you know, seeing the progress that he has made is just, it's incredible. It's, it's what keeps you going. You know, he, when I, yeah, it's, when I first started with him, um, you know, he had a hard time giving up his iPad to, to do instruction. And I know it sounds so simple, but he is, you know, we've worked on sharing and worked on the concepts of if you, you know, give your iPad to who's asking for it, you'll get it back. And, and so he willingly will give your, you know, give the iPad when before it was such a struggle for his parents. And he's just, he's wonderful. And just to see this immense progress in his language and his compliance, and it's just so, it's, it's just so motivating and just what, you know, one makes you want to continue down this path and especially with, you know, kids it gets really, you emotional. Yeah. It, it really, like I was saying, you know, I was saying something the other day, like I, um, I, I drive all over, I feel like I drive all over the state just going from, um, my job to, um, in home and back home and, and everywhere. And cause I, I live pretty far from where I, where, where I work, but it just makes it all worth it when you think about how far, um, this client has come. It really it makes it all worth it. It is. It's really fascinating. Like, cause I know I do a lot of intake, so I get to talk to a lot of parents and a lot of parents, they mentioned to me, Oh, they just don't know how to communicate to me and just teach like doing FCT and teaching them an FCR, just teaching them an FCT, FCR, like decreases the problem behavior by so much. And it's, it's like, that was it. That's all they needed. It's like, oh, yeah. I, just, I wish everyone knew what we were doing. It seems like such a simple concept when you say it, but to teach someone that when they use their words, they get what they want. Like it's so, um, it just seems so simple, but it's actually pretty groundbreaking, groundbreaking for, you know, students who, who don't know how to communicate effectively or don't have the words to communicate. So, um, it's what you said is, is absolutely right. You know, it's to have them use their words and to realize that their words are powerful and their words have meaning is, is amazing. Oh, man, 
that's that's fantastic. What's your long terms like? What's your long term plans in our field? Um, I think you know since I've kind of dipped my feet into the water and found <laughs> the experience here. that I yeah I, I kind of want to dive <laughs> right in and and just figure out you know what what capacity would be um, the best for me whether it's in home or being a BCBA in the school district or you know, the clinical setting, I think I just have to figure out at this point in my life, you know, with my experience so far, what would be the best environment for me to practice. And, and I think that's kind of where I am right now. I know that I love teaching. I know that I love being a BCBA and I kind of want to make that transition to being a full-time BCBA. And I just have to figure out in what environment. So that's kind of where I am right now. That's awesome. So we're going to go ahead and start wrapping things up. So I have to ask you one final question. What's one advice you wish you could have told yourself when you were getting into behavior analysis or school that you know now? What's one thing? Um, when I reflect back on, reflect back on this experience, um, to be honest, I, I gave up so much, um, you know, weekend time and, and, you know, time with my new husband who is amazingly supportive and like pushes me to always like go for my goals, which is amazing. But I, I didn't realize, you know, I think at the time when I was, um, doing the classes and working, you know, from Friday night until Saturday or Sunday night, that it would all be worth it in the end. And, you know, there, you know, there's that goal that I was really chasing after. And I think that I just realized, you know, that this hard work and this learning, you know, pays off and, um, it has just opened so many doors for me. It's opened like a whole new understanding of life in general. Um, and, uh, it, it was, I think it was just understanding that, you know, you will work really hard and you will give up a lot, but what you gain in the end is, is so important. And, um, I, when I was studying for the exam, I, I just made ABA my life. I didn't listen to the radio. We didn't go out to dinner. We, we just like, I just totally immersed myself. Like every moment of free time I had, I was either doing flashcards or I was, um, you know, studying with a great great group of girls that I met um, who were studying at the same time or, you know, listening to um, lessons, ABA lessons in the car. Like, I just completely immersed myself in it. And I, I remember after coming out of the exam, I was like, what am I going to do with myself? <laughs> <laughs> it was a real experience, you know. It's, I was like, oh, my gosh, I can listen to the radio again. Um, and, uh, but it was, I think all that hard work and, you know, that, um, that time spent was just truly worth it in the end. So it's don't give up. I know it's like ABA is, is dense. There's a lot to it, but it's also, it's so worth it. So worth it in the end. You are so right, Lisa. And I feel like everything that you talked about today, I feel like people could take it and they can learn from it. Because even in my experiences, because I recently just got married and whenever I started this program, I remember telling my wife, like, oh, like, 
it won't be too difficult. Like we'll still be able to hang out. But now I get home and I'm like, Hey babe, I have to read a few articles tonight. I want to work on a literature yeah. review. And Oh, Timothy Vollmer just released a new article. I need to go check it out. Like there's just so many things that are going on <laughs> yeah. in our field. And it's like, I want to yeah. know what's going on. That's, and that's great. That's, you know, to have that thirst for knowing, you know, what's, what's being published recently and like all the, the interventions that, um, that are being researched. And that's all like that thirst for knowledge. And like the fact that you made this podcast and the fact that you are trying to do everything you can to understand this field, I think is so commendable. And I think that's awesome. And I just know that it's, totally worth it it's totally worth it in the end to you know have to go home put everything aside and just take that time to just dive into you know ABA and what you love I think that's amazing so I commend you for you know kind of taking your education and your your experience and your learning and turning it into this I think this this is just wonderful to see well thank you so much Lisa for coming on today and yeah no problem. And I'm so happy to be on. It's your first guest. That is huge. <laughs> exactly. Well, thanks for coming on to the show, the Behavior Trap Podcast. And that's the conversation with Lisa Zenit. Isn't she delightful? Man, for my first podcast, I had a great time listening to her, especially being a graduate student. I learned so much. You can find me at Spotify, YouTube, at The Behavior Trap. 